0: to another episode of the Listen In Podcast. I am Sean, and I am here with my co-host, Jake. Heyo. How you doing, Jake? Oh, you know, just getting by, <laughs> enjoying the week, living life. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we are up to episode 81. Um, pretty impressive, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I shared it on Facebook, actually, episode 80, because we're really bad about sharing episodes on Facebook. We got to get better at that. Yep. We will. Um, and I shared it. One of my co-workers just commented, wow, exclamation yeah. point. About 80. That we hit 80, yeah.
1: I saw that, Um, and I meant to share it and didn't. I don't know why. I should have done it. Uh, I think part of me is just always embarrassed about sharing
0: stuff on Facebook. I just don't like to bother people. Me Because I'm just like, if you care, you'll seek it out yourself, which right. isn't always true. And also, is like, I have the same mentality, and it's also like kind of inconsiderate,
1: because it's like, you know, some people need to be told stuff or like shown something or they're not going to they're not going to pry you for information exactly no one's so interested in us that they need to you know get that so but we do talk music (laughs) on this podcast not only it's not a podcast about our podcast it's not a podcast about our crippling (laughs) self-doubt although that is a major subtext of the show yep um, ...that runs as a thread through the entirety of the 80 episodes. That's right. Um, so yeah, definitely if you're joining now for the first time, stay tuned for Music Talk... ...and talk about how we second-guess ourselves at every time.. Yeah,
0: yeah, and if you are unfamiliar with our podcast, uh, welcome. And what we do to start off every episode now is we attribute our episode number... ...with a corresponding year in music... And we talk about what the big albums were from that year. So we've hit episode 81. What big albums came out in 1981, Jake?
1: Before I start, I had a quick uh, question. What do you think we're going to do when we get to 100? Are we going to go to 2000? Or are we going to um, look at like that's what, really good what music was popular in 1900?
0: I, no, that's not interesting to me. No? We'll uh, go 2000? Let's go 2000. Okay. Okay. So, or maybe we'll think of something else by then. That Who makes knows?
1: sense to me. Okay, so 1981, we had releases from The Rolling Stones with Tattoo You. Um, Moving Pictures by Rush.
0: Mm. Limelight we'll get, is on that album. We're
1: starting to get
0: 80s here. Okay, yeah. Face
1: Value by Phil Collins. Um, Killers by Iron Maiden. Uh, what's that? I saw it earlier, the, that replacement album. Sorry, Ma, I forgot to take out yeah, the trash yep, or whatever their, it's their called. first album. Yeah. By the Ramones. The Pretenders' second album. Face dances by the Who. Ooh. Uh, so we're getting and then oh, don't say no by Billy Squire. Wow.
0: I okay, think the so, album with the stroke on it. Okay, we're st- we're definitely starting to get more '80s here.
1: Yeah, Sticks put an album out. Yikes. Paradise
0: Theater. Yikes. Well, okay, maybe one of the reasons why there weren't a ton of huge releases mm-hmm. is because there was so much happening with history. This mm-hmm. is a lo- <laughs> excuse me, sorry. This is a loaded year. Okay. Okay. MTV launched. In August 1981, that's a big one. That is big. Um, Ronald Reagan became president. He also was shot later that year. That's right. And he appointed Sandra Day O'Connor as the first woman of the U.S. Supreme Court. A, a somewhat progressive move from conservative. You'd on. be, yeah, yeah. yeah. From
1: uh, yeah, a quick side note, historically, how do you think MTV will be remembered? Because I think now. It's only, what, we're 30 years removed from that, roughly, or a little more, 35, whatever. MTV has this reputation as having been, like, kind of a sea change in Mm how music was received by people. Do you think, like, centuries from now, it's going to be remembered? Because it
0: didn't last very long. Uh... I don't well the joke always is with people from that era like oh I bet you didn't even know MTV played music videos. It's like yeah, I know that they did. Like he, fuck off. And here's how but, I
1: did. They still were when I was young, right. but that's beside the point. I also know it cuz
0: it's in every reference to Exa- the 80s ever. Exactly. Exactly. That's the running joke. I think as we get further and further away though, it probably will be more of a footnote of it started out as this type of channel yep. and then it kind of you know went off the rails a bit yeah
1: became a reality TV channel any other historical notes Uh, from 1981
0: uh, Princess Diana married uh, what's his name there you go Uh, Prince Charles or whatever
1: the probably the inspiration for the song
0: What's Her Name that's right by Green Day classic very relatable
1: sort of you know that's a band who is in a similar situation as as sort of royalty in in (laughs) England For sure.
0: (laughs) You're not wrong. Uh, Okay, let's dive in with some music talk here. We have a couple hot thoughts to get into. The first one, new album that came out this past week, The Heim Sisters, are back with their sophomore effort, Something to Tell You. Now, I really liked their debut album that came out back in, what, 2013? Yeah, Yeah. I think it was four years ago, yeah. Wow, that's a long time ago. I I actually really liked that album. I got pretty into it. I can't say the same this time around, though. I saw a lot of reviews that were positive for it. Yeah, and like high return with their great blend of like nostalgic pop, and like yeah, that's what they're doing. It feels not as original this time around to me. I don't yeah. think the songs are there like they were on the first album.
1: I can see that. So with this record, I've only listened once, and I haven't had a ton of interest in returning to it. Two thoughts that I'm actually just stealing from Stephen Hyde. And So big shout, huge friend of the pod, Stephen Hyde. Big friend. Um, he gave a middling review to this record, yeah. said it was actually mediocre and a disappointment in his review. He also, I saw a tweet that I thought was really funny, where he took a headline, like a screen grab of a headline from the New York Times, I think it was, and it said... Haim is doing something that uh, not many people do these days, like being a rock band and taking mm-hmm. it seriously. Mm-hmm. Basically, that was the gist of it. And he was like, evidently, they don't pay attention to anyone at all, because there's <laughs> a lot of bands that take it seriously. <laughs> right. And they're not the only one by any stretch. I think that's part of the narrative with them, is they're so... like. They basically are pop stars and they record you know, good rock music, but they, I think in some ways they're received the way they
0: are for I don't know what reason. They, 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 they're pretty popular. There is a subset of these pop star slash rock groups yeah. that aren't really totally rock groups, but they're not as big of pop stars as like Rihanna, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift are. It's the Himes of the world. It's the Lana Del Rey's of the world. Yeah. People like that that get this they, they, they have their cake and eat it too where they have this indie cred but they're also received on this huge platform where a lot of people still know them and they're basically huge pop stars they're just a notch below those other ones I mentioned that's what happens with Haim here like they get to hang out with Taylor Swift and be friends with her but they also get to be written about in a serious way by Pitchfork and all of the other you know, music publications that are out there.
1: Yeah, they're held in pretty high regard critically,
0: it feels like. And it seems to me, at least this time around, like they are getting by on reputation or narrative alone where people are like, we want this band to succeed. So we're gonna give them good reviews, even though this record isn't as good as their first and maybe doesn't deserve as good of reviews as they're getting.
1: Like in like in a way, I can definitely see why you'd want to root for them, because they're a cool band, they have sort of the hip factor going for them, they're very stylish, they have they they have that they ooze sort of the persona, the care the charisma of a good rock band. Um, but, I mean, honestly, I don't even love the, the song Want You Back on this album, which is, I think, like can, probably going to be the biggest hit. It's, I think, the right now on Spotify, it has 13 million listens um, to Little of Your Loves, 3 million, so that's second after that. So I don't know that there... And it, all that's to say, the one listen I had to this album so far, and again, I'll own that, I haven't listened to it a ton, and I guess I will return to it, but I, I wasn't especially excited to. Um, whereas on Heims first record,
0: I thought there were a lot of really good songs. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with this, is I'm in a big-time mid-year lull. We've hit the mid-year dull drums in terms of new music. In sports,
1: all we have left is baseball. Yeah, we're in the
0: the dog days of summer. I feel like this happens every single year, where, first of all, I think new album releases just happen to slow down in the summer, just because I think that's the nature of, of how things go. It's really, really big and April through the end of May there's a lot of releases and then I think it slows down until September which is another big album release cycle time but yeah kind of the opposite cycle from
1: movies really yeah it's true although I get yeah it's true because with movies like a lot of the best ones come out tail end of the year and like early summer to mid summer yeah
0: and that's yeah that is the opposite with albums so yeah I've hit kind of the mid-year doldrums where you had mentioned you don't really want you don't feel compelled to go back and listen yeah I've kind of been the same way lately. Like, there's been a lot of albums that have come out that aren't necessarily bad albums, but I'm just not super interested in going back. Like, um, that Rat Boys album came out recently, yeah. and like I only listened to that once and didn't really want to go back. The Beach House B-sides and rarities, you know, you could argue that that just, you know, it's B-sides For and sure. it's not that interesting. But I love Beach House, didn't really want to go back to that. Casey Hill, who is an artist we've kind of dabbled with, didn't really want to go back to that. There's been a few that I'm just like, a Roswell kid, I was like, eh, I don't want to go back.
1: Yeah, I think what it is, is um, I think we were speaking to this earlier in the week where you kind of get tired of the chase yeah. halfway through the year where we've now been on this two-year cycle of podcasting about music and trying to, in a, like a serious way really follow the cycle, really follow releases when they're put out, and have some sort of opinion about them, and I mean, just speaking for myself, but I think this goes for you too, it becomes tiring, mm. and it be it definitely takes a little bit of enjoyment out, especially for albums where I listen more for obligation yeah. than for my own enjoyment, right. and I think Heim, even though I've liked some of their stuff in the past, they fall into that category a little bit for me, more mm-hmm. obligation, there's just a big, you know, swell of support Forheim in the critical community and in fan community so it just feels like something I should listen to Um, and as a result I have but just once and and we were talking about this too where we've been returning a lot to some older bands and and albums that we love or maybe have not taken the time to discover from sort of classic artists like for me The Clash I know you were listening to some Velvet Underground the other day
0: I've been doing the same yep so that's like sort of a go to for me. And, that, and that's what I realized happened last summer too, and kind of ends up happening the last few years. Like, I'm looking back at our, our list of albums that came out around this time. Get ready for some of these names and be ready to be like the oh yeah, like, right. um Basement, School of Seven Bells, Broken Beak, Bat for Lashes, yeah. Dikembe.
1: That Dikembe record, I've, uh, that's yeah, my but it was so far. But
0: it was always one where I'm like, "Am I listening to this because it's the only thing that's decent out right now?" Or like, and I realized I was like, "I don't really feel like listening to this. I want to go listen to old stuff."
1: Yeah, I had some decent listens to Dikembe, but I agree, it didn't totally stick. What with me.
0: took us to, like breaking out of this around this time? Blood Orange was out, which yeah. was really good. Yep. Camp Cope came out and then the Jang Versace Summer EPL came out around that time too. So I. that kind of uh, broke us out of the doldrums a little bit. But I'm finding the same thing now with some of the releases that have come out.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe something to do with like, I don't know, the heat, the hot weather, yeah. like driving around to places, you go going, I don't know, swimming and you're at the beach sometimes. I just want to listen to like hits. I want to Exa- listen to yeah, like exactly. old
0: songs yep. I've loved for years. Yep. I think it does have something to do with the summer. Um, So the other hot thought that we have is a new album from Broken Social Scene called Hug of Thunder. Uh, It's their first album since, oh man, what was it, like 2010, 2012, something like that, around around that time, I think. I wouldn't call myself... 2010. And that's what I want to get into is that I know for a fact neither of us have really listened to Broken Social Scene before this came out. From what I understand, like, they were a very important indie rock band from the 2000s, critically acclaimed. Um, Their album, You Forgot It In People, massive album when it came out in 2003, Uh, very, very popular, looked at as one of the decade's best. People still talk about it as one of those albums that was like a big shared cultural moment that everyone talked about Uh, kind of along the same lines of like an Is This It or Interpol or, or Arcade Fire Funeral. like I, That, I think, is in the conversation that we somehow just missed and mm-hmm. never really went back to to revisit. So I saw that Hug of Thunder, this new album, was getting really good reviews, and I was like, you know what? I owe it to myself to go back and listen to You Forgot It In People and then check out this new one. So I spent some time with, with, that, um, with that album, the 2003 one, and then went back and listened to this one. I was pleasantly surprised with how much I actually ended up enjoying both of these. Um, And my take, I think, is that this new one, for someone who has never listened to Broken Social Scene, I think Hug of Thunder has ended up being slightly more accessible than You Forgot It In People, which might sound sacrilegious to people who are like, no, that's a classic. I, I can see why, and that's fine, but as someone who'd never listened to it when it came out, is coming back years later, comparing it to this new album, I've wanted to listen to the new album more.
1: Yeah, uh, I, so yeah. I, similarly, uh, as you said, I had no context for Broken Social Scene. It was a name I'd always heard sort of thrown around. I feel like I've, I've just seen it about, but I never took the time to even look into what they were. Mm-hmm. I actually always thought Broken Social Scene was like a punk band or an emo band or something, just based on the name, and I yeah. had really didn't know research. It it reminds me of when I was a teenager and I didn't listen to Death Cab for Cutie. Right. Because I thought they were like a screamo band. And I never took the time to do even a little research (laughs) to just figure out like, well dude, what the fuck do they even sound like? Yeah. And maybe base your opinion off that, not what you think they are based on their name. Uh, But yeah, I've now, I've listened to Hug of Thunder a couple times and same. where You know, a lot of these songs have been jumping out at me. Like as I'm listening um... It's, it 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 all ties in to the fact that I haven't been feeling a ton like listening to new albums lately. I haven't been totally in the yeah. mood, um, like we were just saying. But with this one, the two times I've listened, I've found myself like, oh, okay, like here's something I, I really like. Here's yeah. something I could come back to. The song Protest song jumps to yeah, mind. Yeah, that's a really
0: good song. My favorite's the title track, Hug of Thunder. I really, really like that.
1: Yeah, I'm at the point where I don't know all the songs based on their title, what they sound like. But I will say that as I'm listening to it... I find that there are these little earworms yeah. where I'm enjoying it as I'm going through. Um, but in terms of the historical context and what they mean to people, it's crazy to me that I don't know about this band more. Like they spawned, what is it,
0: Feist, um, Metric, w- Metric, yeah, and some other things. Like uh, f- from what I understand, they're like a Canadian supergroup. From what I understand, they all all the members of this band were doing their thing in the Toronto music scene. And I forget where I read this, but one of the members said that, he's like, we all kind of already had our art house period before we got together in this band. He's like, we just wanted to make like catchy songs at this point. And uh, that's what they ended up doing. And I think that's why they were were such a hit because they had that kind of art house background. But they're like, let's just kind of write more accessible songs now. And I think that melded together in a real way that you can see. So... You forgot it in people considered one of the you know better albums of the 2000s. I was talking to a friend at work who was a, a fan when that came out, and he said I didn't talk to anybody who didn't love that album or was listening to that album in 2003. Wow! It was on every mix playlist, played at every like party get together that like I was at. He's like, it was a really big shared cultural moment. And that That's got me really thinking that it doesn't seem like that happens as easily anymore with albums that come out now, and I don't know if it's because of streaming or the more kind of fractured way that people listen to music or, or genres now or what it is, but it are we gonna are we gonna get that again? Um, and, and I think this is a good transition into our our embrace debate because I kind of wanted to talk about this but do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I had a quick point. Um, I think that the last one or maybe not the last one but an artist who's doing that kind of thing and really unifies people is maybe Kanye at yeah. least with people I know when a Kanye West album comes out not everyone I know loves it in fact some people hate it but everyone has an opinion and has at least heard some of it. I remember when Twisted Fantasy came out, that felt like maybe the last big sort of moment where... Lemonade was one of those ones where... Mm-hmm. But those, Lemonade's not an album that's especially important to me. Twisted Fantasy is. And when that came out, it did feel like basically everyone had heard it and everyone had an opinion and it was on. You heard it everywhere.
0: Maybe that? Yeah, and so that's a great transition to our Embrace debate. And for anyone who doesn't know, this is a new segment that we do where we kind of talk about certain subjects um, and ask a question, kind of pose a debate question. We go back and forth. We're going to set the timer for three minutes, and when that's up, we're going to move on to the next Embrace Debate topic. So we have our scary alarm that goes off at the three-minute mark, so keep your eyes your ears peeled for that. And your eyes. And your eyes. you got to always be on alert. That's right. If you don't see an alarm, then you won't know if it's going to go off. (laughs) So I'm going to start the clock right now, Jake, at three minutes. And the Embrace debate is, with the popularity of streaming, are we losing these shared cultural music moment albums? And if that is the case... What are the biggest shared cultural moments of the music decade so far? Do we have any? And I think you you brought up a great example of of, of Twisted Fantasy and Lemonade. I
1: was going to say, I jumped the gun. I wasn't looking at the agenda close enough. (laughs) You should have stopped me. No, it's okay. As I just went off. Um, So what I say still stands. Uh, I think that Twisted Fantasy is like... The last one were I don't know about last. You could probably point out another one, but I feel like that was one where yeah I saw people on like I remember seeing people on Facebook who I was acquaintances in high school with didn't even know they liked music and they would be saying
0: stuff about Kanye really brought it with this album or something like right. that. Right? Yeah. So to answer the first part of the question, are these moments less likely? Do they happen less frequently? I think the answer is yes to that because of the way that music is. Listened to now yep. and, and kind of treated now, so I think yes, that is the case in terms of biggest cultural shared moments. Now, I think rather than like these indie rock records that come out of nowhere, it's the most massive pop appeal albums. I think one that you could look at this year yep. is that Lord album, actually, mm-hmm. that's one that I think everyone has listened to. Last year, it was probably Frank Ocean, maybe to an extent.
1: Yeah, Kend- Kendrick Lamar, I think, is another one. Yeah, it's usually the big. Like either pop stars or like artists who are going to be multi platinum or just huge rappers. Drake. The, to, to address yeah. the first question, the popularity of streaming question, whether the cultural music moments will go away, I think a big reason why it at least feels so different now than it did back when that came out or when albums would come out, you know, in the 80s, 90s, whatever, is there's so much more access now that when an album drops that you really like, it's not like a revelation anymore. It doesn't right. feel like it's a surprise that there's support for this music and that it can come out. Like, if you think about how people talk about Nevermind, what people say about Nevermind by Nirvana is that was such a shock and a revelation musically because we all never thought that a band who was from the underground and who made dark, sort of distorted music that wasn't hair metal could get popular. Mm. It feels now like. It would, it would be a shock if an album like that became hugely famous, but there's access to all music. You can basically yeah. you and your little group of friends, it's
0: not hard to have those discussions. It's not hard to find. And that buzz would be happening on Twitter and blogs before it ever even blew up. So people who are in the know would be like, oh yeah, like I've, I've heard about this for a while. And that's a great point that you bring up about your individual group of friends. So I think there's those albums that are cultural shared moments with the larger population. Kendrick, Kanye, Drake, Lord Beyonce, those are all big ones. I think there's also ones that happened with us, and the two I'm thinking of, I think Pine Grove was one last year yep. on, a, on a smaller scale. Obviously, they don't have the the wide appeal. That's our alarm. The other one I was thinking was in 2014 was the Future Islands singles album. That yeah. was one that all of our friends were listening to yeah. and seemed to love. So, when it came out. So th- yeah, those are just a couple examples there. Listeners, let us know if um, if there's any shared cu- shared cultural albums that you think are out there
1: my last mike wilbon talking over the horn point mm-hmm. is um that i think i can't think of the last one that is a cultural landmark that's a rock record no, in I our can't. decade yeah and i, I don't mean, even know if there has been one the one you could maybe maybe make an argument for in the last like 10 years is meriwether post
0: kind of what about like the vampire weekend's last album Maybe, but even or like AM by Arctic Monkeys
1: that w- It was popular in that it was like in car commercials But it wasn't this yeah. thing where people were like People make this kind of music Yeah, that's true but, Yeah, that, that's a good point You know what I mean? That's like, a good point it, it didn't
0: blow anyone away musically Yeah, you're right Yeah, I don't think there's really any rock records That have been out there like that I don't, don't know I don't yeah. know I don't feel like it was a big sweeping cultural no, thing No, I, I think you're right uh, Number two Okay, number two Embrace debate Jake and I, you know, this seems to be an annual thing for us, or like a quarterly thing almost, is we get back into the Beatles big time. Uh, I've been reading Dreaming the Beatles, um, new book from Rob Sheffield. Big friend of the pod. And it talks a lot about the Beatles' solo careers. And it got me thinking about George Harrison um, and where he ranks as an all-time songwriter. So I've started the clock, Jake. Where does George Harrison rank? As an all-time songwriter, McCartney and Lennon—they're obviously two of the best ever. But who is George Harrison on par with?
1: So the decks are—they're stacked with the Beatles because, like you said, you got Lennon, you got McCartney. It's like—and I don't know the 27 Yankees well enough to know who is the best, but it's like you have Ruth and Gehrig, and then you have maybe like Yogi Berra or something. And Mm -hmm. George Harrison—where does he rank? I was thinking, like, in terms of all-time songwriters, he doesn't have a great wealth of great songs. He wrote—he has like maybe 10 to 15 his best songs are among the best songs of all time though. If you look at something Here Comes the Sun, songs like that like, they're some of the most iconic Beatles songs and just songs that people would know from the general collective consciousness mm-hmm. I think for that alone he has to be like a guy, you have to think he ranks in like
0: the 40s, 50s yeah, all time Yeah, that's what I like was that. thinking too So, alright, let me throw out some names to you um, And I'll go better or worse yeah, you'll say, Or like ranks lower, ranks and higher Yeah, you'll say better or worse Tom Petty. It's so interesting you
1: went with Petty. That's the first one I thought of. I think technically worse because even though I don't think Petty ever wrote a song as good as something, I don't know Harrison doesn't have the collection of songs that Petty has.
0: Right. So I think Petty is like a top here's here's one for you. Kurt Cobain also doesn't have the Uh, wealth.
1: I I think like with Cobain, it's like he kind of led the movement. I gotta say Cobain's higher.
0: Yeah. Okay. Here's I'm gonna switch it up on you. I'm gonna do. A modern-day artist okay. who... Justin Vernon doesn't have a ton of stuff yet, but everything wow. is really good. And this that's, is where it starts to get interesting, because it's like, it's how do we
1: compare? Where I start to try to test my recency bias. Like, a Robin yep. Pecknell is another good example. Yeah, yeah. Do you have to put dudes like that ahead of George Harrison? Josh Tillman. Again? Like, are they ahead of George I, Harrison? Because it's, like, it's like... That's what's so tough about George is... While my guitar gently weeps, like these songs he'd write, he has some amazing, amazing songs. Is the depth there though? Clapton. Speaking of. Clapton, I might go George a little bit in terms yeah. of songwriting. Yeah. Because I guess I'm not giving great thought to like all the stuff that's on. What's that big for it, What's the name of the first album he came with? The triple album. All, all things must pass. All things must pass. Yeah. I wanted to say, "Is this life?"
0: But that's not what it's called. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think George maybe edges clapped in a little bit. I think he might too, but I think that's also our Beatles bias. Also, coming what's, in.
1: what's tough with George is that he contributed to the Beatles in ways that weren't songwriting. Like his guitar is yeah. a defining factor in the Beatles.
0: Yeah. He's a tough one to rank, and I think especially when you compare him to modern day artists, it's almost impossible.
1: So you got Lennon and McCartney, they got to both be top five. They're top five. It, like, separate and apart,
0: right? Yes. I do not even know. Yeah, yeah. If it's, if it's um, the two of them together as a songwriting force, they're number one. They have to be. I think even by themselves, they're both top five.
1: They probably they are.
0: are. Ooh, that is scary. It's a, it's a, it's a quick
1: alarm. I really, a quick point, my will bond for this one yep. is I bought this little, just to have it because I thought it looked cool, like pocket dictionary of musical terms. And there's a whole section on composers, and I yeah. flip through, and you can find Lennon, John, like, McCartney, Paul, and they're next to, like, Chopin, That's like, really Chopin cool. and stuff, and, yeah. like, Mozart. Wow. And it's like, there they are, and it, like, gives this brief description. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it, I thought it was huh. funny.
0: Uh, okay, number three. Here's uh, This, this is, is one that
1: I have, yeah. yeah. So, the embrace debate on this one is, who has your favorite, or, or who are some of your favorite singing voices of all time? doesn't have to be your favorite artist. So who has like so? Here's something that come to mind for me. I'll give you examples that might get you going. James Taylor has a voice I mm. love. Karen Carpenter. Yeah. Um, someone like Louis Armstrong. I always love hearing sing. I like because I, like it, for me, obviously the Beatles are my favorite band ever. John and Paul both have some of my favorite voices right. of all time. I don't know if it's like. So you know what I mean. This is, Plant, is, maybe?
0: this is a great question because so much of what I would answer here would just be artists that I yeah. do like. Your favorite. I think fits. it's harder to pick out voices that maybe their music itself you don't love, but you can say, okay, their voice is great. I think Karen Carpenter is a great one. Am I really going to listen to the Carpenters? No. Can I identify that she's an amazing voice? Yes. Frank Sinatra, I think, is another one that has to be up there, right?
1: Definitely. Big shout to Glenn Campbell, the country singer I was uh, referencing. Um, You know who I think has maybe a sneaky, better voice than Brian Wilson is Carl Wilson. Mm. He sang God Only Knows. He also sang Good Vibrations. Brian wrote it.
0: Yeah. Carl sang them. That's a good one. Modern day, you know who I always think of, and it's so funny that they're both in the same band, is Robin Pecknold and and, uh, Josh Tillman. I think both their voices are fucking amazing. They are amazing.
1: Yeah, they really are. You know who else has a really cool singing voice is, um, is, I think it's Evan from Pine Grove. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Very interesting. How about him getting name-dropped with all these other people? I know. That's good for him. Big drop for him. Yeah, so...
1: Here's a question for you, related. We we're just yeah. talking Beatles. Whose voice do you purely like better, John or Paul's?
0: Because I think it's very. It's, it kind of depends on the situation. It Depends on the song. If I want like a rocker, where like hit the voice is going to be more of like a like like I'm thinking twist and shout. Like where John basically shreds his voice. Like if it, then it's John. If I'm talking purely, just a normal song, maybe whose voice is technically better? Probably Paul.
1: Yeah, I think Paul had an easier sense of obviously melody and like he. Paul is actually kind of a weird voice. It's kind of this fragile, bubbly singing voice. I'm trying to think of other good ones. I always, you know, who I'm forgetting is uh, Freddie Mercury. Yes, Freddie Mercury. Now, again, like I'm not going to listen to a Queen record. I'm not going to put on jazz. I'll put on Don't
0: Stop Me Now to hear the amazing beginning of that song. Now, how about someone whose voice is maybe objectively not good? Like a Joe Strummer. Bob or, Dylan. or even a Bob Dylan, where you grow to love those voices because of how unique they are, but they're not objectively good voices.
1: It's it's the always the the discussion of the quality of their voice or the actual sound. And yeah, like I, Tom Waits is in the discussion also. Yeah, you're um, like not really in the discussion because he had pipes. But who doesn't have the most aesthetically pleasing voice is Bowie. Bowie has kind of a right. shrill, nasally right. voice, right? And he could sing really well. Let us know, listeners, who you think are on your list. Not necessarily favorite artists, but some of your favorite, favorite voices. voices, yeah. That's a good And point. sometimes it intersects. Sometimes it, it can be the same person.
0: So if you listened to our episode last week, Jake and I talked about The Clash a little bit. We wanted to add an embrace debate here because Jake has started listening to mm. the rest of their discography. Uh, so we are both huge London Calling fans. We yes. both agree that... Not only is that their best album, it's just one of the best albums of all time. So that's clearly at number one. But the Embrace debate here, Jake, is what is the best Clash album after London Calling? So what's number two? So two things. One, it'll be interesting to
1: come at this as I'm a newbie to this. You have some experience with the Clash. Two, I don't think I ever understood how deep their discography actually runs in terms of quality. Mm. Because I would always heard you rank and every critic rank, give them enough rope right at the bottom above Cut the Crap. I never really totally realized that that's still a really good <laughs> it's, album. It's really good. So Not if, a bad song on it. No, it's not. I think what I'm going to end up going with now, at this point, is... I'm actually flip-flopping right now in my brain. I I think maybe Sandinista. I've only listened once, because it's like almost three fucking hours. Right. But there's so many cool songs on it. I know that
0: it usually gets ranked third or whatever behind... Uh, Their self-titled. They're self-titled. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Everyone puts that self-titled second behind, like their pure punk debut right behind London and Calling, and I can see why. And when I was a younger lad, Jake, when mm-hmm. I was an early listener to The Clash, I said the same thing. I was like, yeah, it's definitely this is number two. As I've gotten a little bit older and had more time with them, I would, I would rather listen to Sandinista. I would honestly rather listen to Combat Rock. Really? Because it has my favorite song by then, it's Straight to Hell on it, among awesome. many other really good ones. Is it as consistent as the first one? Probably not. Is Sandinista as consistent? Also probably not.
1: Yeah, the funny thing about Combat Rock is I've, found, I've listened to that, I think, twice. I've listened to Give Him Enough Rope only once. But with Combat Rock, that might even be like less consistent than Give Him Enough Rope in terms of just pure consistency. Yeah give them enough room. there's higher highs on combat rock oh without a doubt yeah. without a doubt Straight to Hell is like again maybe my favorite Clash song um, and Get a Defendant I've been loving with that yeah. voice talking over that's the uh,
0: what's it Ginsberg uh, is that Allen Ginsberg that's <laughs> Allen Ginsberg yeah
1: I gotta just put my hand up man it's on me for not getting <laughs> into the Clash earlier yeah. It's it's it, honestly it's a big <laughs> it's so it's, cool it's a big black yeah. mark Um and embarrassing that I didn't <laughs> at least try yeah earlier. Because I am loving it, man. Yeah. Like they, dude, they have some really, really good records. It's hard to pick a second favorite right now. I mean, I think if you asked me in a week or a
0: month, it would be different. Um, I know, and yeah, for me, I, I am just less interested in that straight-ahead punk rock sound yeah. now. I'd rather listen to the interesting stuff on Sandinista and Combat Rock even if some of the songs on there might be misses yeah. just because it's more interesting to me and i think the ones that they do hit on are better than anything that might be on that first one so in my brain it kind of goes London Calling their self title is probably their second best yeah. objectively but your second favorite but i would rather be listening to Sandinista at number 2 then Combat Rock at number 3 then their self-titled <laughs> at 4 give Them enough rope and I refuse to listen to "Cut the Crap," partially
1: just because how bad an album title it is. Terrible album title. So that was a that was a good embrace debate, uh, listeners. Let us know what you think. Um, yeah,
0: I know there's some Clash uh, fans out there. Yeah, let let us know how you rank the albums at Listen in Pod on Twitter.
1: So Sean, all this talk about
0: the Clash
1: has yeah. had me listening to more punk music. I've been listening a little bit to songs I like by the Ramones and the yeah, Sex Pistols yeah. over the last few weeks. For me, punk is one of these things I get really into for a little bit, and then I kind of pull out. Yep. Um, so here's a, a general discussion topic, and I don't have a name for this
0: this segment. <laughs> yeah, we've been tossing around names. I, I like your idea of calling it Think Peace. Yeah, so
1: basically what this is is like it's a discussion topic that is not necessarily going to fit in Embrace Debate because it
0: will take too long. It's not a hot thought because yeah. it's not about modern music. It's not. I, I also, I don't know if you saw my my note about this, we could call it like B-side or bonus track.
1: Yeah, I, I think of those I like bonus track better. So listeners, let us know what you think. Bonus track, B-side, Think Peace, these are all some names we're to- tossing around for this segment that we can crowdsource the name. Yeah. So here's what I was thinking. Um, in punk, there's a lot of ideological bands, mm-hmm. bands that sing with a political purpose of some kind. And I was thinking, I want to see someone design a political spectrum going from right to left, like basically from fascist all the way to communist, mm-hmm. with punk bands along it. And I was trying to think about, it, and not necessarily only punk bands, we could limit it to punk if we wanted, that yeah. might be an interesting infographic of its own. But uh, you could also include other bands. So some I was thinking about are like you have the Sex Pistols who would be technically the extreme right. Right. Because they're whatever, anarchists. Right. right. That was their message. Clash you'd have all the way left because they're communists.
0: And by the way, can I stop you really quick? The, the whole political um, kind of how the Clash and the Sex Pistols present themselves. Yeah. I think when you're a little bit younger, you're like, yeah, anarchy in the UK. Sex Pistols are so cool. The Clash are so much cooler about what they're about because they actually have real ideas and stand behind them yeah. and would like donate money and time and like all this stuff. They would actually get behind their stuff rather yeah. than just be like, oh, fuck it, anarchy.
1: Well, the thing about anarchy too is it's just like this easy thing to get behind. It's not yeah. complicated at all. Right. It's really, really interesting to me that they came from the same, if I can use a fancy sounding word, milieu um, in the 70s punk scene <laughs> and that they were kind of intermingled uh, in England doing that thing where. It, obviously, I don't think they thought about it this way. I don't think the Sex Pistols really thought about themselves as being extreme right. You know what I mean? Like, they're way, way to the right of the political spectrum. Yeah. I think in their mind, Anarchy was just... Like, I have no misconceptions about the brains on the dudes in the Sex <laughs> no, Pistols. No, no, yeah. The funny thing about them is, like, uh, Sid Vicious, who was the bass player, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes to Sean here, <laughs> right. in the band, couldn't even play bass. <laughs> right. Steve Jones, if you want to credit someone in the band, credit Steve Jones. <laughs> right. Because that dude, and I actually I went back and listened, because I've been so into The Clash lately, I went back and listened to some of those songs on Bullocks. The, the sound of those songs is incredible. They're so, fu- they they really go and they're like, the song like Bodies so yeah. dark and so foreboding and there's a really cool sound and like can I get behind with Johnny
0: Rotten singing in a lot of this stuff? Not really. Right. It's still he's still a, a captivating lead vocalist. Before you get to the rest of your yeah. your people here, I just need to say, back when I was younger, I loved that Sex Pistols album, that first one. As I got more into the Clash, and I was like, oh, like they took that sound and a, I think did it better on their first album than Nevermind the Bollocks. And then we're like, you know what, fuck this, because you can only take it so far, and then went a, a totally different direction. Yeah. I've grown so far away from even wanting to touch Nevermind the Bollocks, because I'm just like, it's kind of boring to me at this point. Here's the
1: thing, I, I'm going to disagree a little bit, I, it's a really, really, really good There's record. good
0: songs, yeah. I just, uh, I who don't knows? know, let me ask you this. As I mean, Philosophically, I'm way closer sure, to the no, I, I know. Do you like, who do you think did the better pure just punk album. Is it The Clash self-titled or is it Nevermind the
1: Bog? Based on the listens I've had to uh, The Clash, I think that that album has some it has maybe more consistency of songs it's also in my opinion it sounds less radical and sounds less musically punk. It's definitely punk and it definitely has the fast guitars, it has them singing in the Cockney accent and all that what is interesting to think is a part of the reason I went back and listened to the Sex Pistols, I was like, I want to see how this compares because mm-hmm. it's been a while since I've listened to Bullocks. That album, even as someone who is a living in 2017, it still hits you as a little bit like, can they do this? Like, can they sing this shit? <laughs> yeah. And that to me is like, the, the, what the Clash have is like they seem like they were really smart. Right. The Clash, definitely, I'm more interested in them now. The think about the Sex Pistols though, is they're like the crazy guy you don't want to get in a fight with. True. Very. And, true. And to me, that's that is. Maybe more punk, yeah, and because that album is fucking crazy, yeah. And the shit Johnny Rotten did, like I don't even think that dude is like a a really a good dude. No, I don't think so either. I think he's like kind of fucked up, yeah. And um, so yeah, I I kind of go back and forth, but like if you listen to Bodies, (laughs) I I, like now I'm I'm loving the Clash. They didn't do shit like that. Like that song is like is aggressive it's it, like almost offensive yeah you know what I mean like in Johnny Rotten went to a he was out of his going out of his way to offend people
0: yeah yeah no that's true that's a, that's a good point I didn't necessarily think of it that
1: way but but in terms of like songs if I'm thinking about it as like what are the better songs like
0: yeah The Clash had Police and Thieves they had Janie Jones they had all these songs well, White they, Riot White Riot Riot's Burning yeah. their Opportunities exactly yeah. Hidden War, yeah. So continue with this, uh, this, this spectrum of of political leanings.
1: So here's some of it, though. Like, so an interesting one is I've been reading about the Ramones a little bit, Mm and you may even have probably, I think you probably knew this, within the band. Johnny Ramone, the guitarist, and Joey Ramone were on opposite sides of the political spectrum. I don't think their music is very expressly political. No, but you had Johnny Ramone was like a conservative Republican, and then you had Joey, who was a, uh, a more of a liberal. Hmm. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Rage Against the Machine, you would put all the way left. Right. Springsteen, you put. I'd say, what do you think? Moderate to far left. Yeah,
0: he's he is like us. Like he would be our ideal political like. Thumbtack in the in the spectrum there. That's probably where we would be at. We'd be closest to him. Over, I think, any of these people on here. Because he's not. His music is very working class. He, yeah, but he is like, um, yeah, but he's also this rich musician. He, right. who, but he comes
1: from a different. Situation.
0: Yeah, he is like as true blue Democrat as you can get, basically, without being like he, Spring- crazy about it. He's just like I'm a Democrat. Yeah, like
1: Springsteen is like just one of these dudes who's... Yeah, he's like an old-school Democrat. <laughs> yeah. He's just like... Yeah. He's like a, a New Deal Democrat. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. He's of that era. Green Day, pretty far left. Yep. And then I'm thinking about guys who are on the right. And this is where it gets harder. People who you'd pin on the right of the political spectrum. One guy... And I think part of the reason is their music isn't always, ex- again, expressly political. The guys I thought of are Gene Simmons from Kiss who is like, I guess, very conservative yep. and actually kind of a xenophobe prick. Yeah. Um, and Ted Nugent. Yeah. Who's all about gun rights and all about,
0: he's See, very conservative. What you end up having with these people who are leaning more towards the right yeah. are like people you kind of don't want to associate with. Like Kid Rock. He yeah. would be, he'd be on the far right and he's like trying to run for Senate right now.
1: He'd be just like a Republican though. He might be like the Bruce Springsteen
0: right. moderate yeah, Republican. That's, yeah, yeah, that's a good call yeah
1: it's interesting I don't know I wonder how much of that has to do with um creativity or something because a lot of celebrities movie stars act, like you know actors musicians are so often left leaning right that when it's more surprising when you find out someone is conservative I wonder why I, that it is it
0: shocks me whenever I hear of any musician being right leaning yeah it's weird
1: and we were talking about it earlier We speaking of the Beatles this is something that interested me um I guess John Lennon by the end of his life like at by 1980 he was actually considering supporting Reagan yeah. and had gone from he was basically like radically left right he was like a, oh yeah working class yeah. like he was very much power to the people that was his whole message yep. I guess w- within the 10 years where he was out there in the streets protesting and singing protest songs by 1980 he had swung to he's more of a domestic moderate conservative type of guy. Very interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Are there any others I missed that you can think of? None that I can think of. I think you don't all the big ones that I would have immediately also thought of. Oh, Bob Dylan. Yeah. And the be, thing
1: is, is like where does he fall see, based because, on the decade of
0: his career? Exactly. That could be totally different. And
1: and cuz I guess I'm just assuming that 80s Dylan where he got <laughs> religious, <laughs> right. goes further right. right. I don't know if that's Who knows? The
0: case. I I don't know, but that's a good that's a good question to bring up.
1: So here's the thing. I need someone to like design this spectrum. Just I I expected I could Google it as like an
0: interactive infographic.
1: Yeah, because what I thought would happen. Like I googled just this is this is the arrogance of our day and age, Sean. (laughs) I went and just I googled punk political spectrum. Fully expecting to find... Exactly
0: this. Yeah, Yeah. find
1: like an interactive infographic. The closest I found was like a one Prezi. It wasn't very good. It wasn't great. I want like a chronology. Basically, it looks like a chronology or like the heat meter from Rolling Stone. I know exactly
0: what you're talking about.
1: And I want everyone pinned along the spectrum. Yeah. Um, And I think that you have an interesting thing where the spectrum meets with the clash and Sex Pistols where they both had this essentially... Um, sort of of the people mentality but went about it opposite ways. One was the government should
0: be doing more for people the other is the people should do whatever the fuck they want all the time. right? Yeah, really interesting and you you brought up John Lennon there. I think that's a great transition into our Mount Rushmore. Surprise, surprise Jake, we're talking more about the Beatles. Who would have thought? It doesn't surprise me. We could easily spin off into just a Beatles-centric only podcast. That could be like a secondary brand.
1: Here's a question for you before we jump in. Do you have a sense of where Paul lands politically?
0: Dude... Yeah, he's on whichever political side cares more about writing love songs. <laughs> so so Democrats. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah,
1: yeah. Although I guess there's a lot of country love songs. That's true. Not to... That's true. You know, Willie Nelson's, I think, liberal, but... Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, He uh, smokes like a pound of marijuana a day.
1: Did you see that thing
0: that was getting shared around about
1: Snoop Dogg? Getting out-smoked by Willie Nelson. <laughs> no, I believe it, though. Yeah, I do, too. I, I mean, he's been it. doing
0: it for decades. Yeah, that's crazy. I bet
1: Paul is, like, just is like
0: Dude, just hey, picked. you want to talk about prolific weed smokers. Paul's another one. He is. He got arrested in Japan for weed possession. Spent, like, seven days in jail. And you it's, know what's really funny? This tells you a lot about Paul as a person. When people would ask him about what his experience was like for a week in a Japanese jail cell, he's like... A lot of it wasn't good, but there was also great parts of it, too. And he would just talk about, like, the good parts of being in a Japanese jail. And this is this whole idea about Paul where he just he just pushes the bad stuff down and only focuses on the good stuff. He really it's does. It's fascinating to me.
1: It is to me, too. And you know what's really weird is, like, you could make an argument he got in more trouble based on, like, that. And, like, have you ever heard the story about when they were recording Band on the Run and he got, like, mugged? Out in the street, because he wanted to record it, I think it was in Nicaragua or something. <laughs> he was in like an impoverished country, and he got mugged and robbed during the recording I of that album. didn't know about this. And Paul is this guy where he always, the, what bubbles to the <laughs> surface is the good. All right. What's really, really fascinating about him is he gives off this nice guy persona. Yep. Everyone assumes Paul is this goody two-shoes. He really isn't. And he, I think, was always a pretty prolific weed smoker. In, Not that in Womanizer. Smoke. Yeah, true. Not that it makes you a bad person. No, no, but like,
0: I mean, I'm sure he cheated. He cheated on uh, Jane Asher all the time. Oh, I'm sure you did. know. Did he on London. Linda? I don't think so. I think by the time they got together, he was like, "I've lived that life, and like this is actually what I want." And like they went out and lived in the country and stuff, and just did their thing. So in the heart of the country. I think
1: his relationship with
0: Jane. I think it was one of those things where he was like, "It's an open relationship," but only he thought that.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So Kinda. I, I, it sucks with the Beatles because they're this idealized thing. And then you're like, oh, like, John hit women and Paul <laughs> right. got into some stuff, And, like, too. John
0: also cheated on his wife with Yoko and he, he, yeah, and among and many others, with, I'm sure. like, a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> Norwegian Wood is about one of many right. women right. he, like, slept with. Another womanizer. Who knows what was wrong with George? Oh, dude, George not only cheated on his wife, but did it with Ringo's wife.
1: That's right. <laughs> so... And was involved with... He lost his wife because Clapton, his best friend, (laughs) cheated on him or her, whatever, (laughs) with
0: her. Dude, that's like getting into that Fleetwood Mac, just never break the chain. Pentagonal 69. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, just a big zero. That's right. A digital clock zero. (laughs) So with that being said, let's get into our Mount Rushmore. Of solo Beatles songs. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we picked one for each of the four members of the Beatles. We're going to go snake draft style where yeah. uh, you're going to go, I'm going to go, and then we'll, we'll go like that. So, Jake, you start it off.
1: Okay. Um, we'll start with Ringo. Um, it kind of starts and ends with It Don't Come Easy for yeah. me. Um, again, he has other hits. Ringo doesn't have a very great depth of songwriting. And you know what? That's not his thing. He never claimed to be a
0: songwriter. But I'm not going to listen to a Ringo album. Hell no. I'm not. Absolutely not. Mine is also a Don't Come Easy for Ringo. It's pretty... It's an easy... That's a great song. Yeah. You know what? Don't Come Easy, Jake, is picking a top five Ringo songs.
1: No. And it's for literally the opposite reason of the other Beatles, where it's like, ooh, I'll have to cut a couple that really on another day would be top five. With Ringo, it's like I have You're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm scraping this very shallow
0: pail. And
1: I... Maybe don't know five Ringo songs.
0: No, sadly, unless you're counting Beatle, career Ringo songs. Yeah, how did so.
1: they not rub off on him a little more?
0: In terms, I, of dude, I think they did rub off on him a lot, and that's w- the output that that came of it.
1: Because it's like George was around Paul and John, as a result, wrote some of the best songs of all right, time.
0: Right. So. I don't know,
1: man. All right,
0: you go with go, George. Give your George.
1: Okay, for George, I have the opening track. Off of his first album, which again I've forgotten the name of for God knows what reason. All things must pass. All things must pass. Thank you. Um, The song is "I'd Have You Anytime." Uh, You know, this one could I could switch this one given the day um, with George. A lot of the songs on that album, like "Wawa" or "What Is Life" or um, "My Sweet My Sweet Sweet Lord," "Beware of Darkness," the cover of "If Not for You." Those all are like up there. It's all that stuff. Uh, the one I went with is "I'd Have You Anytime." I think it's a great opening to that record, and uh, it's one of my favorite vocal and
0: sort of slide guitar performances. Yeah, from him. really good song. Mine, I I did go with "What Is My Life" uh, or "What Is Life?" I forget what. I mean. think it's "What Is Life." What is life? Yeah, uh, that I think is the catchiest song. On All Things Must Pass. My Sweet Lord's up there, too. I think that'd be the probably the consensus, maybe. My Sweet Lord.
1: Yeah, those are the two most popular, I think, on the record. Yeah. Is yeah.
0: The good riff in what is life. It Very. It's also in Goodfellas. It took me a while to That's realize right. that. It is, it's in Goodfellas when um, what's-his-name's all coked out towards the back half. That's right. The yeah. end. You yeah. don't
1: necessarily associate uh, Georgie with riffs.
0: Uh, no, oh, no, no, I thought you were gonna say Coke, but then oh, I was no. like,
1: no. If you've like, seen the Scorsese documentary, yeah. you know otherwise. Have you seen that? No, I actually haven't. It's really, really good. If especially where you're all in on the Beatles right now, you mm-hmm. should watch it. There's a part where I think it's his, like his wife or his widow or whatever, talking about. It. She's like George was a weird guy where he would have these just Coke binges. Yeah. In the '80s and '70s, yeah. when he was just like he'd be mellow and like this really very spiritual, very studious almost person, and then he'd go on a week-long Coke
0: bender. Yeah, the book I'm reading is talking about solo career, George. He went on tour, I think it was in like 1974 or something. That's with the infamously bad singing performance, right? Couldn't sing, basically. His voice was shot from, in the book it said, from Coke and Brandy. (laughs) Like, dude. Dude, well, he, and the thing is, is like George always had... a a very nice
1: voice but it was never a strong voice. No. He's not someone who could belt it like John. No. Or who had a voice that was as like sort of naturally melodic as Paul's.
0: And I think it gets noticeable in some of his later 70s, like uh, Give Me Peace, or give, yeah. give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth, or yeah. whatever. Like good It's song. noticeable that his voice isn't like where it should be, probably.
1: You know, it's a really, really good, a couple good songs for George, too, that are worth listening to. When We Was Fab, I think that was on yep, Cloud Nine. It is, yeah. Also, All Those Years Ago, yep. could have maybe taken this spot. Um, it's a song that he wrote for John when John was killed. Yeah, actually, I think he had it written and changed all the words when he found out John died to be about wow. John. Wow, wow. Uh, all right, what is your Paul pick, Jake? So for Macca for Sir Sir Paul, I have uh, too many people. The first song off of Ram, mm-hmm. I went with that because I considered maybe I'm amazed. I considered some of his others. Ultimately, this one helped. Sway me into getting into solo Beatles stuff again when I had been through. It had been a long time since I would listened to a record. Like I remember, in my early twenties and teens, years I listened to "Band on the Run," "Imagine," and "Plastic Ono Band," and that was like basically it. Yeah. And with Paul, I had never tried because I always I was such a slave to what critics said. It's yep. like, dude, maybe listen to Paul. You love the Beatles, right? And you'll like it. Right. And I I did. And Ram, I finally listened to it, and I love that record. And and too many people is always a candidate for favorite on there so that's the one i go with
0: that's a great pick there are so many paul songs that are good candidates here i think of the beatles solo work he has the biggest breadth oh, of songs. of quality songs he does cuz he can just you know write one in his fucking sleep literally yep. uh, that ends up being good yep so i had a lot of options here too i love Basically every song on Band on the Run. The song Band on the Run could have easily been my top pick. Maybe I'm Amazed, etc. What I ended up going with is my favorite song on Ram, which is Uncle Albert slash Admiral Halsey. This song is basically, it's like a medley. It's like this pop medley of these. It's everything I love about Paul. Hooks, weird voices, kitschy British stuff that like only he can do. Like it is so catchy, and I actually didn't know this song until you got me into Ram last year, and I was like, Whoa, this is a revelation! So, um, it's for anyone who doesn't know, it's the the hook is the um, hands across the water,
1: heads across the sky, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, great bass on there big well, hooks with Paul it's always good yeah yeah, great bass. yeah so that's my favorite Ram is my favorite Beatles solo album i think yeah. maybe Plastic Ono Band's right there but sometimes i just like the It's going to depend on your mood. the ease of listening to a Ram. if so. you're in
1: a mood where you're like uh feeling like you need to exercise demons of your family and mm-hmm. personal life then maybe go with Plastic Ono <laughs> right. <laughs> They'll sort of it'll make you feel like someone yep. else gets you. Yep. Yep. Um so speaking of Plastic Ono Band for John I went with Mother. Um, Lately, as listeners of the pod and as Sean knows, I've been on a kick of listening to the John songs off of uh, Double Fantasy uh, because I never listened to it because it's a half John, half Yoko Mm -hmm. album. And I honestly, because it was so late in his career and it was 1980, none none of it seemed appealing. I wanted to maybe go with Watching the Wheels or something off that record. I, I can't do that though because Mother is just so great. I know. And it's such a timeless like talk about exercising demons and just purging yourself mm-hmm. of emotion. John was on he was on one here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah he was. Mother is just an incredible incredible song and I love the pure dichotomy of Paul everything in the kitchen sink just sort of like a homemade record with little sounds and mm-hmm. little funny little things and weird sort of characters he's writing about. John is singing Purely about him making and there's just
0: there's no concessions there. Basically, primal scream therapy on record. Yeah, from John. Yeah, that mother mother is probably my number one pick too. Also, could have gone with God. God is up there as well. In the interest of switching it up and going with, I guess, a lighter John song. I'm going with Instant Karma here. Parentheses, we all shine on. Um, again, I think that's as catchy a rock song, as John ever wrote. Actually, not on any John Solo albums. That is just a one-off single. Uh, Same with Cold Turkey, actually. Yeah, dude, Cold Turkey is
1: really something. I I actually can't listen to that song very much. I can't either. Because it's so abrasive, and I know what it's about, which is just heroin withdrawal. Interesting point. You could also talk about it quitting the Beatles. Yeah, you could. Which I think think a lot of people probably interpreted it that way. Um, but yeah, the John's discography is really intense, and what I mm. found is listening to those tracks on Double Fantasy and actually the ones on Milk and Honey too. He took this like hiatus from music and then came back writing these really really good pop songs mm-hmm. again, and I never knew he had that in him. And I think it, it's well worth Beatles fans taking the time to listen to some of yeah. that stuff because he's yep. writing really Absolutely. good stuff. Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
0: Like- you can't go wrong with any of the songs that we talked about here. Um, but I think we'll wrap up today's episode. Jake, you have a recommendation of the week,
1: yeah. Quick recommendation of the week. So, I saw, um, on I think it was Pitchfork that uh, Dave Chappelle did an interview with Kendrick Lamar, so he's interviewing Kendrick. It's a pretty quick read, it's on interviewmagazine.com. Um, and I just think it's worth the read for anyone who likes Kendrick or Chappelle because it's like these two titans of their industry, mm. two really smart, brilliant in different ways guys going back and forth. Um, And I am like a sucker for the interview format. I Mm -hmm. always really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. One quote I wanted to read from it that I thought was interesting is Chappelle's asking Kendrick... Like, when Dan was coming out, basically, like, what did you think was going to happen? And he says, how did you feel putting out the new album? Sometimes you put something out and you don't know what it's going to do. But other times, like a Steph Curry shot, it just feels good when the wrist snaps and it's like, oh, <laughs> that shit's going in. And he just goes, are you having fun? And, and Kendrick says, definitely, and, and moves on from there. I think that was an amazing comparison. Yeah, awesome. And I feel like for someone like Kendrick, maybe like Kanye, people who are just the epitome of confident and at the peak of their creative genius... It probably does feel like the wrist snapping on a, yep. a stiff like 35-footer. Pro, it
0: probably feels like the basket's a little bit bigger yeah, than it, it actually does. is. Yeah, that's so awesome. So
1: the interview itself is very worth reading nice. um, if
0: you get the chance. Nice. So that's my cool. recommendation of the week. Cool. So that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, Jake and I are headed to Newport Folk Festival in a couple weeks, so we'll probably do a preview episode. Probably not next week, but the week after yeah um we look at the calendar yeah gotta check that out but you can expect a newport folk fest it's kind of a fun preview we'll talk about some some funny stuff like what's the highest temperature gonna be like stuff like that maybe some
1: over-unders will be in there and this year we also have the uh benefit of having been before and so we can do some sort of you know compare and contrast stuff like what are we expecting what are we going to do differently will we factory seal with glue the,
0: <laughs> the snack containers that we sneak in booze with? That's right. So And the schedule just came out today, actually. Oh, it did? I haven't so, looked. So uh, download the app and we'll... Uh, you heard it here first. Yeah, we will have that for you in the coming weeks. But uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. on. I feel like I had something I wanted to mention. I have something. Okay. Um, okay, so Game of Thrones comes back. Mm, July 17th, right? This Sunday. 16th, so, then. with that, there's been all sorts of uh, articles and stuff written about it. Rolling Stone did one where they ranked every single character. Or, not every single one. I've seen that before. But the top 40 characters in the show. And I was looking at it and I was like, I hope this doesn't go how I think it's going to go, which is having Daenerys at number one. Because I don't think she's even close to the most interesting or best character in that show. As the seasons have gone on, I think she's way less interesting... ...to the point where it's sort of boring because it's just completely telegraphed what's going to happen. She's going to go in, dominate with her dragons, be queen. She's not overly compelling, like, in terms of what she has to overcome. Like, Like, she was earlier on. Now she's not. She's just in a position of power and has these dragons... When you look at somebody like Jon Snow, a bastard, yeah, went to the Wall, had yeah. to prove himself there, was among the wildlings, had to do all this stuff, came back from the fucking dead.
1: You Daenerys for some reason, like her, the the aesthetic of her scenes never does it for well. Him. I also think uh, Amelia. We close this. So yeah, watching, I also but think but.
0: Amelia Clark's not the greatest actor. Oh really? Oh, okay. Or actress? So this. Oh. So she was number one in this article. I, I thought. I, yeah, like I thought was going to happen. I disagreed with it. Uh, they had Jon Snow at number two. They had Tyrion at three. I think both of them are, are way more compelling than she is.
1: Um, you know who I think is is more compelling to watch than Daenerys? Braun. Um.
0: Jamie Lannister. No, name I was, a fucking character. They're more compelling. Than I was she gonna is. say Cersei. Cersei, yes, agreed. Cersei's way up agreed. there for me. Um, I love when she's on screen. Hot it's, Pie is more interesting than Daenerys. That's a hot take.
1: What, uh, what's I'm his name sure. there? Uh, what, uh, what? What's his name? Podrick.
0: Podrick. Yep. <laughs> the sex god. So yeah, I think if you're doing a real list, you kind of put her a little lower. Well, here's the thing. I think with
1: Daenerys, part of what Maybe the way she's portrayed is not that interesting. I do think she's among the most interesting characters in terms of like what she's faced with, like how she is sold into basically sex slavery. Right. As in the book, I think she's like twelve or yeah. something. Thirteen. Yeah. Dude, I, I read like half of the book Game of Thrones. Right. The description of from George R.R. R. Martin in the scene where the Dothraki warlord basically rapes Marital rapes Daenerys. Is It it honestly made me question George R.R. Martin. (laughs) Me too. I was like, wait, dude, like, why? I was like, are you getting your fucking rocks from this, (laughs) GRRM? Like, what's the deal, man? Like, that's a little much. I was thinking the same thing. And again, I know that shit would happen all the time (laughs) in actual history, not just Game of Thrones lore. Yeah. But, dude, fucking wild. So I guess that's all to say that coming from that, she... Like he's pretty interesting. Like the fact that she's now this like queen. Yeah, and that's what I mean ship. by
0: earlier on in the show, she was a lot more interesting. Now she's just up it or or for like it. What felt like three or four seasons was just sitting up in her pyramid thing. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and having. Like rebellions in her city. Yeah, from the sons of the harpy.
1: Yeah, and like those characters they have that are like, I just don't ever really like the characters they surround her no, with, except or, for
0: Tyrion. I was like, get yeah, Tyrion yeah. there, and it's more interesting. But even he gets kind of sucked into the gravitational pull of her boringness because he can't like do anything up there either, yeah. and no one wants to like verbally spar with him, yeah. which is one of his best characteristics. So, I, I don't know. But I'll be honest.
1: I don't find Jon John Snow that compelling to watch either. I don't think that that dude is
0: the best actor. No, he's not. Like, Kit Harrington's not a great actor either, but... He's just, like, very handsome and, like... Being up in the north and doing shit up there and, like, cool. overthrowing the Boltons and, like, going yeah. beyond the wall. That's more interesting to me, like, when you don't have three dragons to bail you out of every situation, basically.
1: Yeah, my... Right, and and like I think what makes her storyline not that interesting um, as a viewer is you know that that's the ace in the hole that she has every time, and it's just gonna save her. Like they fly off
0: to fucking whatever land they go to for X amount of episodes for convenience and for budget reasons, so they don't have to do the CGI on the dragons. Yeah, right.
1: They're going away
0: again for the middle of the season. Yeah, and that's what I mean about that show not covering up its brush strokes really well. Yeah, it's really obvious when they're just. Like table setting or stalling for time, basically.
1: It especially when it's like you told me actually, because I binged up through season whatever five, Mm -hmm. and then last season was the first I watched episode to episode. I remember you telling me, "Excuse me," that I would notice that more if I watched in sequence as they happened or as they were released. And I definitely did. Yeah,
0: Um, and it got. I think it got worse as it went along. Like back in season four, which I think was the first season that I watched in real time. It was noticeable. It wasn't as bad, though. Just because I think that was a more quality season. I don't think the last... The dirty secret about Thrones is the last two seasons have been their worst by far.
1: Yeah, they've had some moments, but I
0: agree. I uh, Five in particular. Five is regarded as like a, a misstep of a season, actually.
1: What's funny is... I think I would agree. And I'm one of these people who's, I, I think, boring because I... Or at least i do not intentionally contrarian, but I'm sure people would take it that way. My least
0: favorite scenes in any movie are battle scenes. Like, I don't really give a shit. about. I find it boring. So you didn't like Although, the Battle of the Bastards episode? That was like... That was intense.
1: This is what I was going to say. That was... If that's the one where they make that like, like flank yes, around yes. the...
0: And they're crushing them. That was claustrophobic. That's yeah. one
1: of the first battle sequences I've ever been truly
0: compelled by. Okay.
1: Even the other really like, famous like, moments. Uh,
0: um, at the wall, like when they attack yeah, the wall. Yeah,
1: sometimes they're good. I just think that if I'm... Or the
0: like, Battle wait, of Blackwater.
1: Yeah, good episode, interesting plot, like all that stuff. I think that the episodes that are dedicated to a battle... A lot of times, I feel like they're they're people's favorites. They're not my favorites. My yeah. favorites are the ones where like political dealings are happening yeah. behind the scenes, and you know people are getting fucked over by right. because of X, Y, and Z by this character on account of the other character, and like that's the wire fans in us. Yeah, and I just I don't know for like even in action movies, it was always the same for me. Like I yeah. didn't care about like if I when I see a superhero movie, my favorite part always is the rising action. Me too. It's like the origin story, seeing them discover their powers. Like if it's Spider-Man, it's him zipping around the city. Right. When the battle sequence comes on, I, I just zone out. I'm like, I don't yeah. care about that. Because I know it's going to
0: happen. Yeah, like,
1: I, You know the beats, and that's, exactly. And that's the
0: thing about, that was cool about Battle of the Bastards was, and I guess what's cool about Game of Thrones in general, is you you really don't know what's going to happen. Like, Battle of the Bastards was happening. I was like, oh, like they're gonna lose. Like they're they're John's gonna—he came back to life to die.
1: And this is where being off of George R. R. Martin's script is gonna make it clearly not as authentically Thrones because I—I right. I mean, I do think the end game for Jon Snow, or whatever, is to be whatever Azor High or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. you call him. Um, but
0: I think in a lot of cases, characters would be dying that are still surviving that are really popular. Uh, and I think the other thing too is that the characters themselves have changed and been modified or watered down and are different. There's some characters, from what I understand at least as a non-book reader, except for the first one, is that there's certain characters who just don't exist. There's other ones that have been combined with other ones. There's other ones that have died or aren't in the story anymore, that are still in the story. So I think it's different enough at this point where unless a Tyrion, a Jon Snow, Daenerys, somebody like that gets killed off, you're not really going to shock anybody anymore, I don't think.
1: Also, one one last thought that has me not super excited for this upcoming season. I'll definitely watch it, because at this point... I mean, I like Thrones a lot, and I am excited to see it. The, f- the first half of a two-part final season, it's like definitely yeah. Hallows Part 1. It's
0: yeah. always the worst half. Yep. I feel in yeah. my experience, unless you are the first half of Breaking Bad, which was final great. season, which or Mad Men final season, all
1: the way. So maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. or I or mean,
0: Sopranos actually. final season. <laughs> uh, I think part two is better. I ju- but it, it
1: just- was still so good, right? Yeah, like, it was still so good. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I right. just mean it'll be like going to be a lot of table setting. I think mm. maybe it'll force them actually to have more climactic moments because they always earlier them. on, yeah, or like at the end, which will be kind of the middle of a season, That's right. like episode six. <laughs> they're going to have point. to have some climactic shit happen. That's a good point. I wonder what the end game is. Do you think it's just Jon Snow is, like,
0: uh, whatever the fuck? Is it Azor High? Is that what they the, call it? I think so. Like the Chosen One The or prince that was promised or yeah. whatever. dude. So it, th- I'm not totally clear on that. Does that mean he's going to be the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms or is Daenerys still, or are they going to do it together because oh. they're ice and fire? I don't, I, like, I don't... Is that what they're alluding
1: to? Another, th- yeah, right. It could be that they're going to do it together. Isn't another theory that, like... Tyrion is because he's a bastard. He's someone's <laughs> that, son. Yeah, well, isn't there I, a
0: theory I, that Daenerys is also something different than she claims? Yeah, I've heard both those two. I I've don't. heard both those two. I, I think I think we'll be surprised at how conventional the end game is yeah. actually.
1: They win the fo- the big football game. Right. <laughs> game
0: right. You know what else I can't stand? Off. Actually, I like Thrones too. I like it a lot. It's really good. I don't think it deserves the dick riding that it gets. On Twitter and online where people lose their shit. Oh, did you see Thrones? Oh, Thrones! Oh my god! Best show ever! It's like, no, it's not the best show ever. It's right. not even in the conversation, I don't think, as best shows ever. It's a really you good show. you think you would be
1: top ten? Uh, of all
0: time? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think it's top ten all time. Are you, do you think that some of that's just your own... Is that me trying to be contrarian? Biases? Mm, no, I, I, no, I think um, if you... Talk to an unbiased. If you talk to like Alan Sepinwall, I yeah. don't think he would say it's a top ten TV show of all time. I'm
1: not making an argument either way. He I don't would, really have no. I really don't think he would. Whatever the fucking expression is, dog in the fight, yeah. a horse in the fight,
0: horse fighting is now a thing. I guess. <laughs> Your I, world. I just invented it. Um, it tells you a little bit about. I'm probably upsetting people by saying this. Specifically, like Josh, who I think is a bigger Thrones fan than us and knows more than us.
1: Well, he's a books guy too. Yeah. And
0: I, I mean, again,
1: when I read that book, I really was enjoying it, but I don't have, I don't make the time to dedicate to reading as much as I'd like, and so it's not going to be Thrones I read, especially if I've already seen a lot of it play out
0: on screen. That was my whole thing. I was like, ah, like I didn't read these fast enough, and I've caught up, and I don't know. I don't feel like it's necessary. So anymore. top
1: ten, is like Mad Men, Sopranos, The Wire. What else? Breaking what can, Bad, Breaking Bad, the Simpsons,
0: Seinfeld. So you are going comedies yeah. too, not yeah. dramas. Yeah, Do you yeah, think yeah. it's top ten dramas? Um, again, I think it'd be close. I don't because you'd have like Six Feet Under, and you'd have like there's other you'd have like
1: Twin Peaks. That people put Twin up Peaks
0: there? up there? You'd have other like HBO shows and other shows that are I think a lot of critics would put higher. There is something
1: to be said though about the populist show. Yeah. The show that, like, everybody... It was a yeah. big cultural moment. I, I think if... if Because Thrones has captivated people like a show like The Wire never did. True. It was never capable of doing True. That. Not to say... And again, I like The Wire more. I'm not making a, a, a value statement about that. Right. But I think there is... You, you have to give points where Thrones is due in terms of, like, captivating basically the world with a narrative and, like, everyone got into oh, it. It was escapism, right. but...
0: No, absolutely. And for that, it deserves to be talked about as one of the best. I think if we're talking dramas, it probably is top ten, just for all of, yeah. for what it means to it's, TV.
1: Yeah. I have to imagine it's also harder to pull off right. than on probably any show ever. I mean, right. The Wire's up there, but at least with The Wire... You don't it's have a conventional f- story, at least. But I was going to say, like in terms of characters and number of stories, The Wire is more masterful in doing it. They also don't have to deal with, like, this scene is in a fucking desert. This right. scene is in a castle in, like, a rainforest climate. Right. Like, they don't have that that's thing a, going on. It's like, point. it's all Baltimore. You
0: know, Jake, you could write a 5,000-word think piece on why the differences in setting yep. actually are even more extreme in The Wire when you're talking about the, the low-rise projects yes. compared yep. to... the the City Hall of Baltimore, yeah. and and so on and so forth. It's so very true. you could actually make that argument that it is different.
1: But in terms of difficulty to film and actually pull off, that's what I mean.
0: <laughs> right? I, I know <laughs> what you mean. I know. What I'm just being a dick. Uh, so I fucking love. I, I'm I'm on such a wire high right now. Yeah. I flew through season one. It's even better than I remember. I just started season two with Sabatka with Frank Sabatka. And, and Zadie taking dick pics. Yep. Or what does he do? He, he like pulls his, dick his dick out. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I... So, and I'm continuing to re-watch Mad Men with Brittany. I'm... The Wire's a better TV show. The Wire's the best TV show of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, objectively, I think. Yeah. Writing-wise, performances, story, all woven together. I think it's the best. hmm I, I think I still... Pick Mad Men as my favorite by a hair. Yeah. Just because of the the world. I like living in that world. I think the characters are more fun to to watch. Yeah. Well. Cause you get like Roger, who is yeah. so like Pete doing his thing. Um, Don is incredibly fun to watch Avian Stringer the thing Omar, McNulty none, none of those characters, there's so many characters in The Wire, they're yeah. never in the show as much as you no, think they are not. Not. which makes it Harder to like live with them,
1: but can't you make the argument that the fact that they've made such an indelible mark in our memory yeah. is a testament to how strong they are? Yeah. Given how limited their like, seasons were, McNulty's just not around. Yeah, I know,
0: and I'm always like kind of thinking. I realize about at the end of season one of the of uh, of the Wire, Omar just isn't there from episode like nine to thirteen. Oh, He's really? just not there.
1: Like, the other day, Mary-Kate and I were driving around, like, literally just chuckling to ourselves about McNulty. <laughs> what
0: the fuck did I do? What the fuck did I do? It's like, dude, you fucked stuff up again. That's what you did, McNulty. <laughs> dude, okay, I laughed. I was laughing to myself last night. Remember in episode one, and we're going off on a tangent. We'll start right after No, it's this. all right. I don't care. Remember episode one of season two? He's on boat duty. <laughs> and they, they take out that, um, what they perceive to be a jumper from the bridge. Yeah. And, like, they bring it in. And his old, the old homicide unit gets put onto it. And he goes in to like give them more information. He's like, we stuck that on Baltimore County. He's like, oh, the county, huh? He goes back into his office, down at the docks, starts charting out tides and wind like patterns, faxes it over to the county, and they're like, oh no, it actually ended up in Baltimore City. It's right. the city's murder that they have to solve now. And they're like, can you believe this cocksucker McNulty? I was just like, that's such a big
1: thing to yeah, do. It's it really,
0: really funny. Dude, yeah. He's a
1: great character. He big is. shout out to Dominic West um, with a star-making performance in The, yes. the Phantom Menace. Yes, that's right. Um, as like an imperial throne guard or whatever he is. He's like a palace guard. Yeah. <laughs> no lines. <laughs> I think he does have one line. Does he? He's like, the princess will see you now or something like mm. that.
0: You can find it on YouTube. It's it's hilarious to see. I think last time Thrones came around, we also talked about it in, in after show, pre show, and we were like, We should maybe do periodic T V podcasts. Yeah, we I, did th- yeah. there's a wealth of of content there that we are clearly excited about talking about.
1: There is, yeah. And you're better on TV than I am, but I have you know, with the shows I've watched I can talk it. Um, yeah. You have
0: more breadth than I do in terms of shows viewed. Yeah. I was uh, actually, when I finished this Beatles book, I was planning to read that Alan Sepinwall TV book. Oh, nice. Uh, What's yeah. it called again? I think it's just called TV. Classic. <laughs> TV the book. That's Sepinwall for <laughs> you.
1: Dude, speaking of TV, last thing that I'll say. Um, you know how CNN every summer has been doing a series on the decade, uh, yes. decades of yep. 60s? Yeah. Um, I haven't watched them since the '70s. I missed the '80s last summer, but they're doing the '90s this year. And there was an episode on TV in mm. the '90s. It's really interesting. That's like cool. I never knew how much was it. LA Law. There are some shows that were like really influential yeah. for what oh, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Wall is in that as yeah. a talking head. You should if you can find it somehow watch, watch it. I think it, you'd really yeah. appreciate it. Um, I like those shows. I, I do too. They're well, a little bit. They have that kind of vibe of like everything is remembered in a fond way. It's right. a little nostalgic to yeah. be to be. Uh,
0: Actually, sub like uh, objective, but I still enjoy it. My issue with those, I find, I they're very interesting. I agree, but my one issue is it's all it's twenty miles long, six inches deep. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like they don't go. Deep yep. enough on some of the subjects that I wish they would go into more detail on.
1: And it's also, what I find is when I'm watching it, I can't wait for the subject I'm interested in. Yeah. And then they do it, and it's gone in it's like dumb. 10 seconds. Yeah. Like, in the 70s, I think in the music one, they talked about Bowie or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, sweet. And then within like a it's minute dumb. and a half, they're done. It's Yeah. And it's always the, it's like the skim the surface quote. You get the uh, talking head guy, and they're like, and what this, and what they did. You know, this was revolutionary, <laughs> and then it's gone. Yeah, and then it's yeah. done. We go to Seinfeld. They're like a show where the characters aren't nice, <laughs> a show where the characters uh, aren't always don't have the best intentions. And they show George shoving the old ladies <laughs> yeah, to the party, yeah. and Jerry ripping the marble rye from the old lady. Yep. And then it's
0: done. Right, and that's it for Seinfeld. Right, that's so. that's really interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. The other thing I want to watch too. And I can't say I'm excited for it, but I think it'd be interesting once I got going. Is that Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre? Oh, the documentary, a documentary on HBO. Yeah. What's um, it called again? Like the Reb- something ones. Rebels. Oh, the re- the rebellious ones. No, no it's it's the, defi- like, the defiant the ones. ones. Yeah, something, I know yeah. something like that. I guess it's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. My my issue. And this is just my my own bias. Is I just don't think Dr. Dre is super interesting. I've never listened
1: to any of I haven't either. Like the and that's that's the that's, or like, that's the issue. Any of that. So yeah, um,
0: we should get started
1: though. Yeah, we've been talking. Let's, for, let's do that. This is a decent little. Yeah. Um. Actually, one person last week got the secret code Yeah, that's word. right. It was Kevin. Big it came.
0: It came at the bitter end though. Yeah. Big
1: shout to to big friend of the pod, Kevin. Yeah. If I can find a sticker, uh, I'll walk up the street
0: and give you one. There you go. Good. So there you go. All right, let's dive in. Hmm. <clears throat> Three, two, one...